The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. Welcome once again to a Came from the Radio, the official show of the Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking with me via virtual distancing. We have none other than the Life with Jenner G's, generally spelled E. Good evening, good morning, hello. And we have our very own Pronto Comics, Dominic Definition Man, Sperano. Good morning, Vietnam! I always <laughs> want to do that. Um, this week's show, we're going to have... Oh, crap, I lost it. This week's show, we're going to have our Dominic Definition Man, Sperano, with his comic pick of the week... We're going to have another Jaybird and Lee segment, and if I can find it, oh yeah, there it is. And I have an interview with um, a founder and creator and writer and combo guy of Luke Stone Studios, Luke Stone, which works out because that's him. Yeah, Come yeah. I'm glad that you're you're interviewing <laughs> the guy whose company it is. That makes yeah. a lot. Of so, but before we do any of that, we have to take it away with the news. It's The news is brought to you in part by the fine folks of CradleCon, which is having their first annual in-person pop shop on July 17th and 18th at the Cradle of Aviation in Long Island, New York. It's a one-stop shop for all things comics, toys, collectibles, and pop culture. Tickets are on sale now at www.cradleofaviation.org. Also, from the fine folks at sci-fi.radio, that's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. And, of course... The Big Apple Con, of which we are the official radio show of, celebrating over 25 years of comicness and pop cultureness. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. And their next convention is going to be the Big Apple Silver Anniversary Prequel Expo, which is going to be on July 24th. And tickets are on sale now. Also, want to give out a shout out for our Patreon, of which there are. Danny Grillo, award-winning director Jared Perel, Kyle Horn, Millie Portez, Newsday Famous, Dresden Media, Unjikun, Shadow Rabbit Art, The Huracan, and Yasmin Ray. You guys want to have your own little shout-out? Go to www.patreon.com. Look if it came from in the search bar, and just for a dollar, uh, you can get your shout-out on our show. Whew. Okay, so um, this week, uh, as it has happened in rare occasions, we have no sad news. I'm sure someone did die. But we just did not report it for this week. So we're just going to go straight. I'm actually looking forward to some sad news. Really? To make me feel better about my own life. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not into <laughs> that self-deprecation nonsense. Well, uh. to, to quote the great uh, Dr. Gregory House, someone's got to be miserable sometime. Accept it. That's how I stay so happy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just start off with the not as sad news. From the, if they didn't pull it, no one would have taken it seriously department. For those of you who weren't aware, the CW had announced that they were making a live-action Powerpuff Girls series where they aged up the girls to adults. At first, the internet reaction was mixed. Until that is, photos from the set were quote-unquote leaked online. As soon as that happened, the internet let loose its full ire on the series. Shortly thereafter, it was announced that they were quote-unquote retooling the already-finished pilot only to have what was announced as the original script being quote-unquote leaked online. 
Now, leaked scripts are not uncommon as they usually are either very early drafts or just outright fakes. What makes this interesting is that the script that was pulled off not too long afterwards was due to a copyright strike from none other than CW. Uh, executives say, the reason we redo pilots is sometimes things miss. We believe in the cast, the writers, and executive producer Greg Berlanti. In this case, the pilot didn't work. Because we've seen enough elements in there, we wanted to give it another shot. It may have felt a little too campy and not rooted in reality. You learn things, then you test things out. We felt, let's take a step back and go back to the drawing board. This is a powerful property, and it engaged a lot of interest, and we wanted to get it right. So the, the, the script that was put out there, I only managed to get a couple of snippets because, like I said, it was pulled off when I was doing my little, my little research. Um, they had some interesting things there that was very uh, uh, risque and adult-like. Um, was the, it the Powerpuff Girls? The Powerpuff Girls aged up to adults. Um, oh, okay. So it's written by Diablo Cody. And if you don't know, that's the girl who wrote um, uh, Juno and Jennifer's Body. Mm. Okay. I don't think she was the right writer for the job. But she's still, everybody is still doing it. They're, they're redoing it. So I find that's interesting that only because they got pulled for a copyright strike means that that was the script. And based on the internet and what I've seen as the reactions and the, and the little snippets I got, it was not a good script at all. Probably huh. not. So, um, Jen, since you're a, a female of a certain age, are you a Powerpuff Girl fan? No. <laughs> um, no, I don't know much about them at all. I do like some powder. Um, no. <laughs> uh, I like some girls. It's different, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know much show. about them at all. But I, I, it sounds cool. Jennifer's body was pretty cool. And they had hot girl Megan Fox in it. That's pretty cool. So it sounds like it would be a great script. But uh, like I said, so um, it had one scene where one sister was threatening to leak the other sister's uh, nude photos and interrupting her sister's sex marathon session. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, sex sells. Yeah. I have never seen Powerpuff Girls. Okay. But just based off the animation style, I don't think they're having sex scenes. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't. I, but I this is them, like I said, this that. is them being aged up as adults. So now this is the next. Well, they don't have the parts. Is that what it is? Is that there? Well, I mean, it's very a uh, kid kid friendly animation. It's a very popular kids show for boys and girls, but it was mm. more geared towards girls. And it had the humor. It had all that interesting things. But they decided to a make a live action and b make them adults, which is you know two strikes against what the source material is. So I just yeah. found it was quite interesting that they decided to do it, and then it was so bad. Like they scrapped it and they're gonna redo it again. Reminds me of a. Uh, if you remember Dominic, the One Woman TV show, right? That they, that yeah, they yeah, yeah, put it out there and they and made I, it. It was really bad. And I watched I it. Think it, it was what, all right. two episodes. No, no, it, it never got past the pilot. It, it really didn't. Okay. And yeah. if you you know you go on YouTube, you can actually see the pilot, and it was it was all right, but you know, right. I can see why they decided not to move forward with it. Like I don't think people realize the importance of who you hire as the writer. You yeah. know, like the head writer is very important. The head writer is important, and if the head writer has like, st- it has twisted mind. Their, their previous experience is like adult horror. Don't have them. Well, Juno, Juno like, wasn't adult horror. Juno no, but was... Jennifer Bodies was. Yes, Jennifer's body yes, was. yes. So, yeah. like, if you know, if they're just if it's a kid property, don't have someone come in who's like. 
doing like adult kid theme, yeah. not kid stuff, just like adult theme stuff. I don't mean like like adult like like sexual. I just mean just adult themes, like stuff that adults deal with. Right, like it, and Juno was about a pregnant girl, and right. Yeah. All right, fair enough, fair enough. So moving on from yeah. the that's a lot of nuts department, the new Chris Rock film Spiral has held on to the number one spot in the domestic box office for a second week in a row, pulling in an additional $4.5 million in ticket sales. To put things into perspective, this time last year, the film The Wretched, which is described as a defiant teenage boy struggling with parents, imminent divorce, faces off with a thousand-year-old witch who is living beneath the skin of posing as a woman next door, held the top spot for the fourth week in a row, pulling in an additional $216,000 uh, for, the, for the weekend. Keep in mind, this will be the 11th week of the ongoing pandemic in which most theaters are closed. Of note, Godzilla is still the highest grossing film of 2021 so far, with uh, $95.9 million and counting, followed by Raya and the Last Dragon at $48.4 million and counting. Keep in mind, both films are available on the respective streaming services, HBO Max for free with subscription to the streaming service, and Disney Plus for an additional $30 fee on top of whatever they're charging. Do you guys have any idea about the movie Wretched? This is my first time hearing of it. I didn't even know Chris Rock had a movie out. Yeah, no idea. Let alone something that doesn't sound like a comedy to me. So. Uh, Spiral is the sequel. It's a sequel. It's supposed to be a sequel series to the Saw series. You see Saw Spiral? That was. Oh, the- okay. I did hear about something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yes, that is the, the movie that, that he came out with. And it was, I, heard, I, I have not heard good things of it. Um, I have not been able to see it in my in my ways of seeing movies, so I will I will talk about that when we when it comes up. But the wretched that was an interesting premise. Mm. Well, I know Chris Rock. I heard was writing for Amy Schumer, so it sounds like he's up to a lot lately. Really, I did not know that. Yeah, someone just told me he writes her jokes. I, I don't know, or he backs her. Maybe okay, not right for her, but he's backing her. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Chris Rock writes any Schumer's jokes because then they would be. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. look, it, it, anything's possible, you know. On Blazing Saddles, you know who wrote most Richard of Pryor. Mongo's, Mongo's material was written by Richard Pryor. Yeah. They thought like, people would think like, oh, he must have done Cleavon Little stuff. Like, no. So. Yeah. All right. I fair mean, enough. There's... I'm not saying it's not. Look, I don't think he really is writing Amy Schumer's work, but it's a I'm valid saying, point. Valid point. You know, if you're a good writer, you can <laughs> hypothetically imagine yourself into any scenario. This is true. Very true. Except not the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of, actually, let's 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 do this one. Um, if we have time, we'll go to the writer idea because that's another news item. But I want to get this one off first. Uh, from the, let's try to salvage this and make as money as much money off of this as possible department. On the heels of HBO announcing that the film Dune will be released only in theaters as opposed to the originally slated plan to have released on both HBO Max and in theaters at the same time, Disney has doubled down on the decision to have Black Widow air on Disney Plus for an additional fee as well as in theaters on the same day. Executive say, one of these things we've learned is that flexibility is good. We're really celebrating that flexibility and we're trying to offer consumers more choice. We're trying to monitor are consumers ready to go back to theaters? Of course. Let's say 90% of the, domestic bar- of the domestic marketplace is open right now, and we're encouraged in terms of polling that the growing going, that is growing going forward. 
But if you look at last week's box office numbers, as an example, you compare it to versus an average for three years pre-COVID, it was 85% lower domestically and 67% below international. Oof. In terms of going beyond the, fisc the fiscal year, we've not yet announced exactly what our strategy is going to be in terms of which titles will be theatrical releases, which titles will be Disney Plus releases, and which titles will go directly only into theaters. But we will continue to watch the evolution and the recovery of theatrical marketplace, and we'll use that flexibility to make the right call at the right time. Oh, so essentially, they're like, uh, we're going to try to put movies out however we feel like it will make us the most money possible. Yep. All about yeah. the money. I think, you know, like what basically whatever strategy at this point in time allows you to get your product in front of as many people is the right strategy. Like this idea of just being exclusive to theaters still, I think, is, is idiotic. It's like if you have a streaming service, take advantage of that because there are going to be a lot of people, as you say, if it just because it's open, you don't have to go. Mm -hmm. And like I'm, I'm in no rush to go back to theaters. I, would I love to see Black Widow on a big screen? Absolutely, because I think it's going to be the best to watch it in a theater. Am I in a rush to go to a theater to see it? No. Am I in a rush to buy it on Disney Plus? No. I'll wait till <laughs> it just comes up on Disney Plus. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've actually mentioned that before, Jen. You have no interest in going back to the theater anytime soon either, right? I mean, I never really was big into theaters, and there's a lot of things I don't do in life, but I have a strategy for people who want to get their movies in theaters. I feel like you just <laughs> yes. put eye candy. Like, as a producer, it used to be like, oh, you make a movie, it goes to theater, you know, take it for granted, people are going to the theater. Now, I would just put the most, just stuff that people need to see on big screen, like Godzilla, or Megan Fox, or some other hot girl, or hot guy, like, <laughs> Or, or 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 pubic hair like up close. <laughs> Wait, that would not have people going to the theaters. That would have people going away from the theaters to see that. I'm thinking of bizarro things that people might want to see, like the inside of someone's brain. You know, just things that you can't see in real life. You put that in your. <laughs> then people gotta go to the theaters to see it. <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. Dominic, you have anything? I got nothing. After that, I'm, I, Jen, you might be too young to know that there was a point in time where you could see such things in theaters and then basically, like, they swept in Times Square and cleaned that up. Like, they don't, you don't get to see that. Oh, they don't allow that. And then bring back to the kid. People will go back to the theaters. That's my business plan. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to stick with uh, our original plan of having people going back to theaters. The drive yeah. it's, it's summertime, drive-in, you know, alternative yeah. content. That's why I say to go. <laughs> no, no pubic hair, please. No, for the love of God, no pubic hair. I cannot tell you how many times I went to a movie theater and there was some stuff. I was like, oh, why is that in this movie? I didn't oh, see no. This in this movie. And it was always a surprise. Always well, a nowadays, you know, we have all these advertisements for men shaving themselves on YouTube, and it's trendy for women to be shaven. So there's a lot of people out there, especially the millennials, or what's the generation below the millennials? They don't know what pubic hair looks like, so maybe <laughs> they should go to movie theaters and see that up close and personal and get an education. Ooh, this is all just right, going I'm, downhill. I'm, all right, we're moving on. Moving on. Okay. Moving, all right. moving on. Speaking of writers, as, as, as Dominic had mentioned earlier in the show, 
<laughs> from me, <laughs> give money where credit is due department. Writer Ed Brubaker doubles down over his mixed feelings in regards to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier Disney Plus series, as well as Marvel and Disney's treatment of the creators behind the scenes. If you remember, Ed, along with artist Steve Epting, co-created the Winter Soldier and for all intents and purposes, doesn't see a penny of any of the profits beyond the original comic book run. Ed says, when I work, I, when I work with people, I try to give them the best and give them the best deal as possible. If something ends up being bigger, I try to actually adjust their deal so they can take part of that too. I look at these credits and it is all these executives all over the place. People who were just at the publishing level who had nothing to do with it. I know how much that credit actually makes you in a TV show at Disney. These people have made so much money on stuff that Steve and I did. There's nothing preventing anyone at Marvel from looking over how much the Winter Soldier has been used in all this stuff and calling me and Steve and saying, hey, you know what? We're going to try and adjust the standard thing so that you guys can feel good about this. I have made more on my Screen Actors Guild residuals than I have made on creating the character for my one line that got cut. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So um, I believe I remember, that Baker was I, in, um, I think he had a cameo in uh, Civil War and he, and, he, and he had a line and got cut. But he made more money on that than for creating the character. Isn't that, that's so wild. That's insane. And I remember reading, um, I was reading Captain America when that came out. And it was, in my, like, in my opinion, it was like, I see why they went to that as material for the movies, because it was a really good run and really great storytelling. And the idea of bringing back Bucky the way that they, the way that Brubaker did. <laughs> Pardon me. Gesundheit. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, it was really well done. And it's a shame, like, but, you know, he did it. It's the same thing as, you know, we, I interviewed Ted, Todd McFarlane. It's the yep. same issue. Like, you've made a character under the Marvel banner. They own the character. You were paid for your work at the time. You made it. They own it. It sucks, but that's the deal that you signed up for. On the television end, um, or, or even filmmaking in general, I think it's wrong that people can't say that they created a television show based off of a character on the comic book and right. be like, they're the executive producer and they make all that money, which is once again, under, it's a you know, work for hire. It's the same thing. But yet the pay scale is so different. I mean, uh, Jen, you, you, you are a writer, you are an actress, you are a producer. Is it weird that the pay would be so different than, than if you were working for a comic book as a work on the hire? It's so weird that that's the way it is. Yeah, everything's all weird and backwards. Uh, everyone's a suspect. That's my attitude. And this makes me want to join SAG because people tell me to. And there's a lot of reasons not to. Um, the fact that <laughs> you can create a t you, you If you make a comic book, you only get paid a certain amount. But if you make a TV show based on a comic book that's not even your creation, you get more money. Yeah. How, is that, how is that fair? I, yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't process. It's, advertisers? It's, yeah. There's more advertisers? Is that what it is? I mean, it really just comes down to the way that the businesses are structured, really, that mm -hmm. how television yeah. is structured. One could say the television structure is more fair than the comic book structure. 
Which is odd because as we've all heard about how bad television deals are. Right. But if you're successful, you know, usually the television deal is the better deal. It's, you know, in terms of like the executive end of it. Right. So that's that's why a lot of uh, productions that they have a lot of executive producers and we've had uh, producers on the show and we've had writers and and directors and we've asked them, what does the producer do? And we never really get the same answer. It's always, well, it depends. Yeah, I got um, I believe I got a really good answer once. Not that I asked the question, but I think it might have been from Jimmy Palmiotti. He was saying like or. I know he had mentioned this and someone else I might have heard it from. Basically, all an executive producer is, is is the head writer. It's the person who had like the head writing concepts and they just work and the producer thing gets higher and higher. So you become a producer by being a writer, essentially, and you work your way up having the ideas and you own most of the property. And then what usually happens is that the star of the show, if the show takes off, eventually gets a producer deal because the show doesn't exist without that star. Like Mark Harmon is a producer of NCIS. Did he come up with the concept? No, but he's the show. Right. Seemingly. And because he's the show and he's now attached to all the other spinoffs of the show. But even even then, that's not necessarily what an executive producer does. Because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Jen, if you have, you're trying to make a movie and you need to use a location, instead mm-hmm. of paying for that location, you'd be like, we'll give you a producer credit and they'll get paid. Right. As a producer, where they just yeah, you never know what someone is when they say producer. Like I, I'm yeah. a producer on so many things, and my roles are so many different. I just got back from plans with someone whose family member is a very, very, very high up executive producer on shows we see all the time, and he books he books people. That's really, he doesn't write things. I don't think he writes anything, but he books the actors, the locations, and he puts together everything. That's what he does as an executive producer. So, yeah, the, what actually happens is very different under the titles so that's like that's like the wildest thing where that that one title is like the universal title and you get more money for doing that for let's say that your friend he gets more money than if he had actually created and made spider-man for marvel like right it's mind-boggling how that works well oh yeah he's making money well, first of all, not if you made Spider-Man for Marvel because Stanley did pretty well. But, but not even Stanley; it was Steve Ditko. And how much money is he making? Now, I think it depends also TV executive producer versus movie executive producer. Because, That's like, true. Because I'm looking this up now. I was like, what does an executive producer do? Well, for movies, it's basically making sure that you secure the financing. That's what so, I always thought. But so for a movie concept. Not. Well, for movies, that's apparently what it is. So that makes sense why these, you know, like artists or executive producers and and really when, you know, a lot of these executive producers are have production companies and they're basically the ones that go and basically get financing as people right. invest in the film. Now, TV, again, I think has more to do with writing, but I also get, I think really what we're coming up with in terms of an answer is that an executive producer is a title that is given to someone so that way they get residual money it, and they could do whatever that helped the production. You might not get paid in advance. You probably get made an executive producer and therefore you get residuals. Right. That might be what it really comes down to. It's a catch-all term yeah. that probably equates to a certain amount of residual profit that you will get. 
Yeah, it's 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 wild how how the universe works in this way. But we're almost out of time, so we're going to have our final thoughts. So, uh, Jen, do you have a final thought? Final thoughts, if you have a four-foot-by-four-foot plot of land, then grow your own vegetables or herbs. It's very healthy and give you a lot of energy. Dominic? Uh, I'm open for executive producing jobs. <laughs> if anyone has one, um, let me know. I am I am more than willing to become an executive producer. I am all about residual income. I would like to say I'm an executive producer if it came to the radio, if that's okay. That might. I would help. like to. I would like to say it, but I want to ask you first. I think I can sure, give you some ideas. Sure, you, the two of you can both get executive producer credits. Why I not? <laughs> I think we should start. Re- yeah, I think we should start like um, re. I'm gonna make assigning. you some new business cards. You still have the old ones. Yeah. That say show host. Now the executive producer. Great. I'll I get love right that. On that. I love my business card. It says show host, and it's your email. <laughs> <laughs> so I hand it off, and like, have you ever gotten an email like, "Hey, Dominic," and you're like, "No, this is Mark." You know, like, I'm just saying. I've gotten it from Charlie, but not yeah. from, from you. I don't really hand it out much. Which is the- which is true. <laughs> Um, Charlie hands it out like yeah. it's water. <laughs> he hands it out like a water. Like I, like I just got the interview. I don't really need to hand it out. <laughs> yes, know? yes. But uh, I think we should start saying like executive producers of the show, and why that way not? We can, why not? Because like maybe it'll lead to something else. Sure. So with that, I could. I want to be the Baba Booey of the show. <laughs> so Baba with Booey. that, with my two executive producers, there you go. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with it came from the radio. <laughs> Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at hotmail.com. My neural net processor is linked to sci-fi.radio. Sci-fi for my Wi-Fi. The more I listen, the more I learn. Hey, it's Marissa Jade, your favorite mob wife, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. During the month of June, get ready for Sinister War, Infinite Frontier, and Extreme Carnage at Cosmic Comics and Games of Baldwin. And join our membership program where you can save 10% on every purchase. The Long Island Tropicon is coming this July through August. Come to the store for more details. Cosmic Comics and Games is open Wednesday from noon to 8, Thursday from 2 to 7, Saturday and Sunday from noon to 5. That's Cosmic Comics and Games of Baldwin, located at 846 Merrick Road in beautiful Baldwin, New York. Call us at 516-763-1133. Thank you and stay safe. Now, back to our show. Hey, this is Jay Braden Lee, and we're here to talk about movies, music, TV, and what's going on in our part of the world. Today, we're going to talk about Great Adventure. Great Adventure. You just went last week. Yeah, it, Six Flags. <laughs> Six Flags Great Adventure in New Jersey, yes? Mm-hmm. All right, so we went on a bunch of rides. Yeah, it was, well, I did. Yes, <laughs> I did not go on a bunch of rides. <laughs> Neither did uh, Riley. Yes, that's right. Your little well, that's not true. He went on. Elk. He went on like three. He went well. He went on more than three, but four. He, okay, are you gonna just keep <laughs> on? I was with him half the time because I didn't go on those rides that you went on either. Yeah, right? you went on. Um, well, he went on El Toro, right? That's what he went on. <laughs> he hated it. Which is happens to be the fastest roller wooden roller coaster. The fastest wooden roller coaster in the world. Yeah. Right? In the world? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he went on that. That was the first ride he went on. He's nine years old. He, he hated it. 
He absolutely hated it. He got he, just, he despised us for it. Did he really? <laughs> yeah, he, was, he looked at me and uh, his friend's dad. Right, who went on because I chickened out. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're not allowed to have... All right, so you're not allowed to have keys. You're not allowed to have a phone. And you're not allowed to have your wallet on this ride. Which means you're in a lot of trouble if you're going on it, right? Yeah. It's, it's a it thrill means, ride. Yeah. Right? There's only three rides in that park that... Your, that that have those rules And that was one of them And I took a picture When you guys were coming down the roller coaster I was holding my fi- I was holding my uh, finger to my glasses Because I, I was holding my finger to my face Because I didn't want my glasses to fall off Which I thought you were going to take them off When you no. were going No No because then I can't see but you were, were, you, were your eyes open? Or were they yes, they were open. Because the picture showed that you looked like you were very scared in that one. No, I wasn't. I was ha- I was actually laughing with um, Riley's friend's dad the whole time. That's funny. All right, well, I'm glad you had a good time. But yes, he came off and he was so scared. <laughs> it was crazy. But then we went on a second one. And we thought we were like, "Oh, this is this is gonna be fine." Right. But we then towards a, the end, there were so many bumps, and then it was close. <laughs> right. We went on a smaller one, which was like more of like the old western frontier roller coaster, yeah. which has been there probably since I was a kid. I think since even the park maybe even opened, they had a yeah. whole western section, and that after that ride, Riley was done. After that, he got he was. After that, he was fried, he tapped out, and then we went to the Ferris wheel, because that's pretty much his speed at that point. He was like, I just want to, I just need to relax. It was funny. I was like, I couldn't believe he chickened out already. So I got You know what was funny? Mm-hmm. Before um, we got to the park... He was talking about, oh, I'm going to go on all these fast roller coasters, and I'm going to go... He didn't do anything. Well, uh, he he was eliminated after two. <laughs> we did do the log flume, so that was good. Yeah, yeah, but that's not a roller coaster. That's a ride. <sighs> that's true. Um, but it's kind of like it does dips, you know? And It's not a roller coaster. Uh, right, it's not a roller coaster. Okay. <laughs> it's a water ride. All right, it's a water ride. But, you know, that was about his speed and it's about my speed because I went on with him. <laughs> And that was pretty good. I had to wait for an hour and ten minutes for you guys. Well, that's the thing. The first time, we got there around ten o'clock in the morning and we, everything was empty. Yeah, the first time it was uh, really fast and the second time. Well, yeah, I mean, it was around, uh, yeah, it was like the afternoon. I think it was like two o'clock or something and the place was... It was insane. Yeah, I'd have to say um, walking around, well, waiting online with a mask for that long is not cool. I was just, I think I was just sitting on the side and drinking the Sprite. Oh, we were looking for water and I couldn't find... Yeah. I couldn't... You couldn't find water. We couldn't find it. Uh, Once I finally got it, I was getting brain freezes from it because it was so cold. But um, anyways, Dad put the money in and then we were pressing the button for the water and it didn't come out so I started pressing all the buttons and finally something came out but everything else was empty. Yeah, my $5 Sprite. <laughs> Crazy. I couldn't believe how much it cost for a Sprite. I thought it would be like 2 bucks, but I guess the I think park, it, it might have been to, I don't know, but... The park was... Yeah. Well, you know, that's It wasn't even it was. cold. Ugh. All right. Well, yeah, it wasn't cold. Yeah. 
Anyway, that was just the so that was part of our great adventure story. Yep. You know, we had part a, two. Maybe a part two. Maybe. I guess we could talk about that. Yeah. All right. We'll speak to you next week. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay connected. <laughs> All right. Bye bye. This is Gray Griffin, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. Looking to sell your entire comic collection? Have that one key issue you're trying to unload? Well, look no further than Royal Collectibles, your friendly neighborhood comic book shop. Buying and selling comics, toys, and merchandise with experience in the industry for over 30 years. From Golden Age comics all the way up to the present, they want to buy your stuff. Reach out to them online at www.royalcollectiblesonline.com or give them a call at 718-793-0542. That's Royal Collectibles in Forest Hills, Queens, New York. Now, back to our show. Hi, everyone. This is Pronto Comics' own Dominic Sperano, and it is once again time for... My comic book pick of the week. So picking up with this month's theme of Star Wars being the month of May, may the month be with you, may the 4th be with you, may is the way, This or this is the May, and all the other Star Wars related things that is in the month of May, this week's pick is uh, Clone Wars. Now there are two animated Clone Wars series that you could watch, and I recommend that you watch both of them. One, I believe you can still watch on YouTube, and it was done... Uh, by the same creative group that did Samurai Jack. And that's important because it is kind of canon, and they do address it in the later Clone Wars that was done by Dave Filoni um, for Cartoon Network as well. The later one, which is very rich, and I mean that in a very positive way. It's very rich with a lot of content and really great storytelling. Um, That is done in a 3D computer animated style. And... It really fleshes out a lot of the story of Star Wars, especially during the Clone Wars, obviously. That period in between Episode 2 and Episode 3. And it really creates a lot more nuance of why Anakin turns to the dark side that than that is done in the movies themselves. Now, I know a lot of Star Wars fans that have never seen Clone Wars. And I feel like you're really missing out. And like, well, I'm not into animation. Trust me, it doesn't matter. These stories are so good that you, as a Star Wars fan, you're going to appreciate it. Now, there's two ways that you can watch those episodes. One, you can just watch it as it's been listed uh, each season. But then you can also go online and Google it, and you can watch it for chronological in the story because they do bounce around a lot. So one way or the other. I think it's really a good way to watch it. It introduces you to Ahsoka Tano, who if you've been watching The Mandalorian, you've been introduced to now, if you haven't watched it before. It uh, really goes deeper into what's going on with clone troopers. And uh, They only recently ended it, quote-unquote. It got cancelled I think in like 2007-2008 and when Disney uh, 
start doing the streaming service of Disney Plus, they finally gave it a proper final season, Star Wars Clone Wars final season, where they really bring it right up to the edge of actually beyond uh, Episode Three. Like they bring it right up to Anakin tar- turning to the dark side. So it's really worth a watch, and it's it's what could be called required reading. Um, if you really are into Star Wars and you want to get into it better. The other thing that I loved about Star Wars, uh, Clone Wars, is the diversity of the characters and the diversity of how the stories go. It's not all about Anakin. There are stories about Obi-Wan. There are stories about um, Darth Maul. There are stories in there about Ahsoka. There are stories about numerous different Jedi. So it really helps see the broader picture of the Jedi and I've I've brought this up on the show for those who complain that there's not enough like strong female characters in in sci-fi and fantasy and action and in Star Wars in general you haven't you, you can't say that if you if you watch uh Clone Wars and the next pick next week Rebels because it is full of strong female characters so if you're not into Star Wars because you feel it's so male driven then you really should watch these and I think it'll enlighten you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's pick. Please remember you can go and check out my own personal webcomic at fishysarcasm.com. You can become a Patreon of the comic. It's only $1 a month. It's the least expensive Patreon out there. I promise you that. Also, please go and check out prontocomics.com. We have plenty of comics for download. And always remember... Remember, the Force will be with you. Always. So be safe and be healthy. has been in business since 1993. Your one-stop comic book shop for comics, gaming, and collectibles. The Comic Book Depot Club membership is $15 and gets you 15% off new comics, back issues, graphic novels, and 10% off comic book supplies. Located at 2847 Jerusalem Avenue in Wontaw, New York. Contact us on Facebook for curbside pickup because new comics are back. For more information, give Alan a call at 516-221-9337. The Comic Book Depot. Hey, this is Ty Monk, a.k.a. Bruce Leroy from The Last Dragon, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. Hello, radio listeners. What are you thinking? We want to hear from you. What's working for you? What things would you like to hear more about? Write us your thoughts. Or you can buy us a pizza. Just go to our website, www.itcamefromradio.com, and click on the Buy Us a Pizza link. Leave your comment there. And we'll read them on video. What's up, guys? This is Kari Payton. And you're listening to It Came From The Radio, so keep listening. Hello, friends. This is Ranger Rob, and I'd like to talk to you about dog poop. That's right, dog poop. I invented Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags, a very large bag with handles. My bags support large and small dogs and smell like lemon. They are strong and affordable. 
You can find Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags at Amazon. They come in sheets or in rolls and come with a dispenser. Once you try Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags, you'll never want to go back. So come join us. Go to Amazon and try Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags today. Now, back to our show. And welcome back to It Came From the Radio, the official show of the Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking. I am here, virtually distanced, of course, with none other than writer, artist, creator, and founder of Luke Stone Studios, which is awesome because that's his name, Luke Stone. Hey, thanks for having me today. So, Luke, why don't you tell our audience just a little bit about yourself, and we'll get on to what projects you're working on right now. Yeah. So, um, like you said, my name is Luke Stone. I'm the founder of Luke Stone Studios. I am a husband, a father, uh, and I'm a full-time pastor, which is a fun thing to, to be aside from comics. But I am um, also a huge comic book geek and nerd. So I've loved comics my whole life. And uh, I write and draw and letter and color and do all kinds of stuff that I can do with, with comic books because they're, they're, they're like Keanu says, comics are awesome. <laughs> All right, so you, you you threw me a curveball with the with being a pastor. So now I have to go down that road. Well, yeah, um, sure. <laughs> what is your thoughts on quote unquote comics being pushed with an agenda as opposed to just comics being told for stories for just good stories? Uh, I absolutely agree that they are being pushed with an agenda. Uh, what that agenda is uh, is. I guess it's dependent upon the particular title or yes. <laughs> whoever's writing and creating those things. But I think most people write with an agenda. Uh, I personally don't. I like to just have entertainment uh, in my books. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you're a pastor. It must be a Christian book. It's like it's not a Christian book. It's just a comic book. Uh, there is a bit of my worldview that goes into it. So there's, you know, there's the interjection of like a Christian worldview. But, you know, it's nothing, you know, like what you would write from your worldview and and so on and so forth, you know, so. Uh, I think that those things are are fine, but uh, I, I would say that there seems to be an overt agenda in some of these books today where it almost feels like I'm being preached at. And trust me, a preacher knows when someone else is preaching that that's uh, <laughs> that's that's requirement number one to be a preacher. Yeah. You must yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, we we get it like we know. And we also know people don't like to be preached to. So uh <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's kind of obvious in some of those things. And I think that's a kind of a big turnoff for most people that are uh, comic book fans is uh, unless of course you love that agenda and you're like, yes, preach, you know, uh, <laughs> you, you'll get a few of those people in the pews, you know, that are like, yeah, come on, let, here, let me hear some more of that. But uh, I think in, in general, uh, I do agree that there's, there's probably an agenda out there, um, whatever it might be. And people tend to lean into their viewpoint maybe a little too heavily. Fair enough. Fair enough. So how does Luke Stone Studios get to be founded? Like when you were young, Luke, <laughs> I mean, obviously being Luke, you're already, you're already predisposed to loving sci-fi because Luke Skywalker, like every single person <laughs> has heard that joke. If you're a Luke, so I'm sure. You know, if I had a nickel for every time <laughs> someone has told me they were my father, I would be rich. I'd probably have more money than Lucas. Not uh, including your father. <laughs> not including my own father. Uh, truthfully, my mom and dad's first date was to go see A New Hope. And so wow. um, that when they, you know, my mom said, you know, if we ever if, if we ever have a kid, I would like to name him Luke. And uh, so that's how Luke and Luke Stone came about. So, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I've always... 
so around the age of five, I fell in love with comic books. Couldn't really read them too much. So when I started being able to read the words, they, they really took on new meaning. It was just basically looking at the pictures um, until I really started learning some of the bigger words, you know, uh, that, that, that love affair with comics started. And so in the age of 14, I had these dreams of making my own comics and things like that. And then as I grew up, some of those dreams subsided. I still wanted to do illustration, but I also found myself, you know, doing music, producing music, doing mastering and, and editing and things like that, photography, and then commercial art stuff, you know, basic graphic design for companies, logos, letterheads, and things like that. And so that's where the studios comes from, you know, uh -huh. multiple studios, because there was multiple things that I would do under the same banner under my business. And uh, so, but in recent years, those other things have, uh, have kind of uh, burned off on re-entry into the comic book atmosphere. And uh, it's mostly, if not exclusively, comic books now that I do. You know what's interesting? Um, we've been doing this show for, for many, 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 many years. And a lot of artists are musicians in some way, shape, or form. Do you think that that's like a prerequisite? Once again, name, being named Luke and then being a musician... Is that a prerequisite for being able to tell stories? Because you tell stories through your music, but now you're telling stories through a comic book form. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that that is a prerequisite, but I do believe that it's artistic expression. And so where I grew up, um, I would draw comic book stuff and people would be like, hey, yeah, that's all right. You know, but uh, being able to pick up a guitar and play a riff or sing a song, something I wrote, people tend to uh, respond a lot differently to music than they do comic books or comic art. Um, illustrations, sequential art, and those and kind of in that form. So I, I think there's almost an inherent thing inside of a creative person to want to be able to um, communicate an emotion, communicate uh, feelings, and to also express uh, to an audience and have that audience react. Music is very reactionary, instantaneous. So you get that instant gratification for your expression. Where with comics, quite honestly, it takes a long time before someone grabs a book and, and is able to appreciate the work that you put into it. There's the writing, the scripting, all the editing that goes into going into the art phase and then the art phase. It just takes forever to actually make a comic book come to fruition where it's, you know, hey, I wrote this song this morning. Check this out, you know, and so I almost feel like that's really where the musical aspect comes from. And when you're writing your stories, do you have that music in the background of what's going on when you're reading the, when you're writing the story and you're reading it? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, there are, I use music to really drive me uh, in my writing. Like I, I, if there's a particular mood or atmosphere that I'm trying to convey in the writing, I will listen to songs to help me write that. But even more than that, since I'm also my own artist, I will listen to certain kinds of music while I'm drawing certain kinds of scenes so that my art kind of takes on maybe a little bit, a little edgier of a feel in certain areas than it would others. And, you know, and if I'm trying to draw something kind of calm, I, you know, obviously I put on that uh, acoustic coffee house stuff and chill out. So what's your, what, what um, project are you working on right now? Uh, right now, my big project is Hybrids, the Sons of Gods. Uh, we are in issue seven and it is uh, crowdfunding right now on Indiegogo. Uh, we just recently got picked up with Arrow Comics. And so that will be going to the direct market starting with issue one in August. 
And so I've been working on a full remaster of issues one through four uh, to kind of update some of the art because those books were done um, done a long time ago. And uh, when they get ready to go to the, to the direct market, I wanted them to have uh, be a little more consistent with what's coming out now since they're going to be coming out monthly instead of, you know, biannually for the first couple of books, you know? Uh, so there was a lot of growth, especially between issue one and issue two. And I'd worked on other books in between. Uh, so um, I, I'd gotten better exponentially from those two books. And so I really wanted to kind of up the game there. So that's really the, the big project I'm working on right now is hybrids um, and this new art called the killing field, which is a little ominous and a little foreboding. It should give you the idea about where we're going with these four issues. Uh, it is, uh, it's doing really well right now. I'm getting ready to start the art for issue eight uh, next week, actually. I start that, uh, um, I'll start that on Monday. And then, uh, and then I'm also working on a book called Voodoo Nations. I'm the artist for that. It's getting ready to go. Issue two is gonna go on uh, Kickstarter here in a few weeks. So um, pretty excited about that too. So a lot of, ha- a lot of stuff happening. So with, so with hybrids, <laughs> Mm-hmm. you're going back so now you're doing a george lucas and going back and ch- giving it the special edition treatment i am yeah so i'm doing a bit of a lucas <laughs> thing there or a, or a snyder cut if you will um the original books were the first four were only 20 pages uh for a couple of reasons number one that's all i had the money to to really try to produce with colors and uh lettering and all that kind of stuff and uh the first book was was a self-published thing and i didn't have the money to print a 20 uh, a 32 page book. I could only do a 24 page with this, you know, the self cover thing, right. I could only do 20 pages interior. And, um, and, and there just wasn't any way to like fill the, fill the gap there. So that, so the first book was 20 pages and it was originally supposed to be 24. <laughs> and then, um, so when you, when you start doing that, you start cutting some stuff that you're really fond of. And, uh, and so now I'm happy to put those back. I'm trying, I'm putting everything back that was taken away or <laughs> that I just didn't have the ability to do. I, I couldn't write it well enough. I couldn't draw it well enough. So all that stuff is going back. And the other uh, four books were also 20 page books um, due to similar, similar guidelines by the publisher I was under at the time. But we're, um, you know, we're, we're, we're packing those books now and adding backup stories in there. And it's uh, yeah. So it's a lot of fun to, to go back and, and kind of relive those, those pages and those stories. And uh and, and apply my, my current ability to, to what I had written back then. A creator um, usually is a perfectionist in a, in a way, which is why going back to do these things is really cool to do because mm-hmm. you don't normally get the opportunity to do it unless it's, you know, for yourself. Um, do you find that the project, is there a point where you're like, the project is finally done. I have to move on because of your perfectionism? I would say most general uh, artists. So would you consider yourself a perfectionist? And if so? Uh, Yeah, I'm a perfectionist, but I'm also, I also understand business uh, in in a a pretty decent sense. Um, I never love a page more than when I just finish it. And I never hate it as much as when I look at it the next time. (laughs) So I'm always progressing in my ability. So I hate all of those old pages, even the ones that I just remastered, I've looked at, I'm like, ah, my gosh, I'm better this week than I was last week, you know? And so it, it, it does frustrate me. Uh, but if I keep going back to uh, try to make it perfect, uh, perfect would be, that would be great if you could achieve that. But I don't think that, that you can achieve perfection. 
I think even the greats that we look at, they look back at some of their older stuff and they're like, wow, I could have done so much better. Things that we fawn over, they hate um, when they see them. But what really is important is complete. <laughs> so uh, I've been told by, by editors, by editorial, by, you know, by publishers, complete, complete, complete. You know? So finishing the work uh, in a way that can tell the story and uh, please the audience is more important than whether or not I think it's perfect. So I usually default to, to try to make it as good as I possibly can make it at the time and then move on to tell more story and say, oh, well, if I didn't not, if I didn't knock it out of the park with this one, you know, I've got the next book to try to do it. I would say that per- being perfect is at the time. So let's say today is perfect, but not for tomorrow, which is not perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, that scale, that scale slides. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. All right. So we are at social media time. So where can people find out more about your book and your projects and more about you? Uh, Really simple. Um, I try to keep everything in one spot so you can find everything right there. Go to lukestonestudios.com. And from there, you can find my YouTube channel, my social media sites, and um, the link to get to the Indiegogo page for the new book. Uh, There are a number of videos on my website and on my uh, Facebook page and, um, and on my uh, YouTube about the hybrid universe. So you can learn a whole lot more about those. If you do go to that uh, Killing Field Part 2 campaign that, again, is linked right through the website, you can click on that button. Uh, there's a number of videos I've already put in the body of that description so that you can get caught up with the story and, and where it's going so you can have an idea about what you're, what you're getting into. Uh, and I'm also doing this thing. If somebody wants to find out more about uh, hybrids and they're a little nervous about taking the, the plunge uh, with it, they can just get a hold of me and I'll send them a couple of free PDFs to get them started. So uh, we believe in the project that much. We, I haven't had, in, I've had only like one or two people be like, yeah, no, nah, it's not for me. And they just did not like superhero books at all. It's that it, it brings up a, I, I have to mention this quickly. You remember uh, one time I was at a convention and I was with a friend and we were walking through uh, you know, an aisle and this lady comes up to us, and she, you know, she has a table, and she says, oh, um, do you like comics? And my friend turns to her and says, no. And I said, what did you do that for? And he says, because I just didn't want to stop. I'm like, but you do love comics. <laughs> so it just reminded me that <laughs> they, like, they didn't like comics. I'm like, who? why would you ask for a comic and then say you don't like comics? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, um, so final thoughts. We have less than a minute to go. So you have any final thoughts? Uh, I just like to let people know, uh, you know, it's, it's comics, it's funny books, try to have some fun with it. Don't take things so seriously and try to leave the woodpile a little higher than you found it. Oh, all right. So my final thought is this. Um, it was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you for being a guest on the show. Um, I want to have you back when we are able to be in person. <laughs> you can yes. come down to the studio or maybe even have a longer segment on our show. So much continued success. Please keep in contact with us. And make sure everybody go out and buy his book and check out his stuff. And do you have any of your music videos? Do you have a music video on your website, on your YouTube page? Well, I don't, have, I don't have some music videos. I do have me playing music up there. And I do have some of my music on my website. So, yeah, you can check that out. You can hear, uh, hear old Luke play some guitar. So. See, that, that counts. So, once again, thank you very much. And with that, we're going to take our break. And we'll be right back with We Came From The Radio. Hey guys, this is Christy from Custom Cakes by Christy. I want you to know that I'm here for you. I'm keeping my private kitchen open for any needs your family may have. I've been focusing on bread, soups, muffins, quiches, and other basics, but I'm still accepting dessert orders as well. 
Please follow my Facebook for immediate pickup items. Private message me for custom orders. Custom Cakes by Christy, I-N-C-K-R-I-S-T-Y. Text me at 631-606-8166. Hi, this is Aaron Gray from Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. If you had any honor, you would listen to Sci-Fi.Radio, the sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. Kapla! Now, back to our show. So that about does it for this week on the Came From The Radio. Join us right here any week on this radio station. If you miss any part of the show, tough. go to our website, www.camefromtheradio.com. Listen to archives we up in a week or so. Check us out on such places such as goodtalkradio.com, btdradio.com, indievolt.com, sci-fi.radio, or our social media pages such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And always follow the cost-benefit ratio. If the benefits outweigh the costs, do it. If the costs outweigh the benefits, don't do it. Or just Google, it came from the radio. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to It Came From The Radio with Mark Torres. The views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management, owners, or staff of the station. We now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast.